0: Hello and welcome to Reliance's podcast. We hope that the message encourages your heart today. If you'd like to join us in person, we meet weekly on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. And if you want to find out more about Reliance, come check us out online.
1: And so this morning, I labeled the sermon, Stir and Spur, because this is what I've been praying that this message would do, that it would stir you in faith and it would spur you into action. Come on, amen? Hebrews 10, 23 and 24 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. This is what we should be doing as brothers and sisters in Christ, amen? So this morning, I hope that I spur you, whether it needs to be aggressively or gently, into a greater action In the body of Christ. Last week, Pastor Aaron brought, or Pastor Ryan brought a beautiful message about being the bride of Christ and how God is coming back to a ready bride. Come on, amen, do you remember this? And he said, church, we apologize for not declaring this and proclaiming the identity of the church as the bride more often, because we have to be walking in the full identity that God desires for you and I to walk in, and if he's coming back for a bride, we better be ready, come on, amen? We better be walking in this identity. And so, man, I was stirred. Man, last week, full of faith, I'm like, oh, I wanna just preach, I wanna share what God has done, how he stirred me because this is the very essence of everything. Do you know that Satan has come to still kill, and destroy the identity that God has given? Do you know that? From the very beginning of time in Genesis, this is what he has done. To Adam and Eve, the very first creation, he came and said, hey, Do you want to know what God knows? And God's going, hey, I have something better for you, Adam and Eve, but here's the truth. Satan didn't just mess up God's plan. God's plan was, is, and always will be Jesus. Come on, someone say amen. I think that's so important for us to know. I say this often because if we forget this truth, it's really easy to get discouraged. It's really easy to get off this idea that the truth is, is God can't be defeated. He is victorious, and he is reigning, and he is supreme, and he has a plan. Come on, amen? And what's beautiful is this plan is unfolding between our eyes. Before I left, literally hours before we left to Africa, I got to share. And I shared about the eternal story that's happening. And you and I have been written in this story by the author of life. Come on, amen? Amen? I hope this stirs you, that you are this important, that God literally authored your life so you could be alive such a time as this. I don't know about you, but that goes, wow, Lord, that's amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Buona asafiwe. Praise the Lord. And so this is the truth of what I feel like God has stirred in me. I don't know. it's, It's really funny to see I've been on lots of missions trips. I've been to South America. I've been to um, uh, Uruguay multiple times and Mexico, Israel. And there was something about Africa that just, man, it really just spoke to me in ways that I don't think I've ever experienced on, on other missions trips. And what I love is I saw a church focused and steadfast. And I saw them Fixed on the mission that God has given them as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. I saw people filled with identity, full of hope, with an, a, a desire to carry out the, the vision that God has given them as a body. Many of you know James Morunga. I mean, you talk about a man of God with kingdom vision. James is that. I'm thankful that he serves as a spiritual oversight of our church. Because his whole job, as spiritual oversight of our church, is to make sure that we are on mission as a body. That we're not getting off that mission, that we're not about our four walls, but we're about the global commission of the gospel. And we're about literally equipping the saints for the good work. Come on, Amen. We, when we became Reliance, we said we don't need another church in Wichita. The truth is is there's literally one on every corner. But if there is a need for equipping bases to equip the saints for the good work that God has called us to long time ago. That you and I exist for such a time as this. Someone say amen. Let me ask you, do you believe that this morning? I don't know about you, but I believe it wholeheartedly. And so Jacob and I, I'm I'm just telling you guys right now, I'm thankful for the brothers and sisters that we have in Christ. I'm thankful for you as the body, as the ones that we get to do life with every day. I don't just say that because I'm standing here today. I say it wholeheartedly. Like I've never seen such support in my life. I think within a few days of putting out hey guys this is what we're doing this is our vision people were like hey I got you taken care of all of a sudden funds start following in and man I was like oh thank you Lord for your provision come on amen and that is obedience through you guys of being able to send us and so it wasn't just us going on this trip it's the entire body going forth and believing in the vision that God has come on and so I say thank you we rejoice in that and I say like uh I don't know, a month and a half before we left, I didn't have a partner to go with. (laughs) I asked lots of people and they were just busyness. Lots of busy things, lots of stuff going on and that's awesome. But I came to Jacob one day jokingly and I said, hey, you're going to Africa with me. And he was like, uh, and I was like, no, seriously, you're going. And then during a staff meeting, I was like, they're like, hey, so have you found somebody to go with? I'm like, yeah, Jacob's going. And he's he's just quiet, he doesn't even answer. Like, I still don't know if this is the case. Later that night, he calls, he says, I'm in, I'm going. That was it. That's how Jacob Hall works. If he says he's in, he's in. And I was just so thankful how God ordained it because, man, I had such a good time with him. I don't think there was literally one time where we got just like, maybe he'd differ, but uh, (laughs) we didn't get on each other's nerves. We laughed a lot, but we experienced things that I was just thankful that I could do with such an amazing brother in Christ. And I say this because, there's something bigger happening. The day that I left, I shared about exactly that truth, that there is a beautiful big story that's being written, and if we truly know the truth of his word, we know that we are steadfast in the promises and his promises will reign true, and if we begin to live this and love this, we will be able to partake in the full blessing and the inheritance of the gospel. Come on, amen? And so, then I hear that, man, it was just fire, week after week of what God's been doing here. I talked to Aaron on Sundays, I'm like, I, on one of the days we were watching the K-State game together, and I said, man, how are you doing? Are you okay? Things good? He's like, yeah, except for the fact that I've heard that every Sunday has been the best Sunday yet since I've left. I'm like, well, maybe stay away a little far longer, right? And the truth is, is we're not built on a person, we're built on the beautiful, mighty power of the Holy Spirit's work in the body of Christ, that he's equipping the saints, and the saints are the ones that are encouraging in faith. And so I say today, I'm praying that we're spurred and stirred in faith and in action to be the body of Christ fully. And we have to know our identity to do that. And so Revelation 12, 11, you guys hear me say this almost every time I preach because I believe it's super powerful and important. But we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. I heard Aaron speak of it just before he left. I literally partner with a film company that we do films with called 1211 Films, okay? The whole purpose of this is to share testimonies of what God is doing because this is how we conquer Satan. And as I've been reading this, I've said it for years, but I actually started looking back at the entire story of Revelation 12, verse 7 says, now war arose in heaven And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers have been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they, not, they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. When I first read this story, I actually thought it was about the beginning of time and Satan being thrown out of heaven. But that's actually not the case. This is when Jesus was on the cross and he conquered, he conquered Satan. When Satan thought he was winning, do you know that Satan had access to heaven until Jesus went to the cross? Do you know this? And he was thrown out of heaven once and for all by the blood of the lamb and Jesus took, or God took Jesus up to the throne room and no longer does Satan have a place in heaven. There is no space for him. That's incredible to me. The problem is, is he has a dwelling place and it's among you and I. And he's come here to still kill, and destroy what God has designed. His only war and his only battlefield is you and I, our souls. And he's coming. Ryan said it last week. The enemy isn't trying anything new. He's using the same tactics every single day to deceive and to the lie to come against the identity of who we are in Christ. Come on, amen? And if we don't know who we are in Christ, guess what? We're going to be a whirlwind, shifting back and forth. And and so this is a warning saying, hey, those of you who aren't in heaven, be aware. You better know your identity. You better know the truth. And you will conquer him like the same way we did. By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So let me tell you, I feel like the Lord has literally given me vision and dreams to tell the testimony of God's glory here on earth. I believe that wholeheartedly. A few months back, I came to Aaron and I said, Aaron, I feel like I'm floundering. I said, I feel like I'm drifting like a wave without any direction. And he said, what do you mean? I said, Aaron, I've been in full-time ministry for 19 years and I love every second of it. I love speaking identity into people. I love showing them and telling them their kingdom value. I love sharing about what it means to be a son and a daughter to the, the one who is worthy of our life. I love sharing how we're a royal priesthood, that we are God's masterpiece. I love sharing that we were made unique and that he has more thoughts about us than grains of sand on earth. It's my favorite thing to do on earth, but lately I don't feel like I've been doing so. I don't feel like I have the same outlet. I was a youth pastor for so many years. You want to talk about a generation who needs to know who they are and their kingdom identity. it's, It's the one we have now. And so that was an outlet for me but yet I still felt like God was calling me into a new role of out of youth ministry. I will always have a desire and a passion for this next generation. And so we passed this baton off to Jacob, but for the last two or three years, it just kind of been, you know, kind of going. But I told him, I said, I don't know what it is, but God has stirred in me more and more to tell the testimony of his people and to share his glory. And of course, I love Aaron. He says, then why don't you do that? I was like, I don't know, man. I don't want to spend all my time here doing that. He's like, Matt, what if you began to still the testimony of God in there? And it stirs and it spurs the church into action. And they actually come into a fuller understanding of who they are. Is that not the gospel? And I was like, come on. I'm thankful for Aaron Wallace. I'm thankful that he wasn't like, yeah, Matt, I think maybe your time here is done. He said, no, your time here is just changing and transitioning into new identity and a new vision that God has given you. Come on. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. I'm thankful that I don't have a nine-to-five job where I have to clock in and out, and it's all about the events that we are running out of this building instead of about the lives being transformed and changed by the gospel message. And he's going, hey, you have a place here. Walk in this fullness of that. And so God has been bringing this to life in me, I'm telling you. So out of this, I started a, a video called Restoring Dummies. Maybe some of you have seen it. It's about 2,000 views on YouTube, which isn't that much. But the beautiful thing is, is what God has done through this story. Tyler Ellis goes to this um, church, and he has one of the most unique prof- professions I've ever seen out of anybody I've ever met. He restores ventriloquist dummies. That's insane. Like, I, there's only like three of them in the entire world, and one of them comes to church here. And his story is crazy, I encourage you to go watch it. Anyway, long story short is we put this story in a film festival of hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of films submitted and it took second place. And I'm going, oh my gosh. And you know what, Tyler and I sat down and we just prayed, God would you use this for your glory to transform lives and to bring freedom into those who are struggling in the same addiction of alcohol. And Tyler calls me and he goes, Matt, do you know how many people have come to the freedom ministry that is happening on Tuesday nights because they saw this video and it just people sharing it on their Facebooks and they were stirred and they were spurred into action to go and experience the same freedom of Jesus Christ in their own life. And I get to do that every night, thank you. And I'm going, come on, God, thank you for using a broken vessel like me. And so I say, hey, what is God calling you to? What is he stirring in you and spurring you to? And so, I want to share with you real quick. Man, like I said, I have no idea how much of this I'm going to get done. But do you know that there is a commission of the church that God gave before he left? To go, to make disciples, to teach them everything that God taught the disciples here and now. This is the commission of the church, do you know that? We all know it, Matthew 28, right? Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you to. And I'm with you always, even to the end of age. This is a commission for all, (laughs) to the end of age. Guess what, we're still part of this, we're part of the commission. There's a co-mission for the body of Christ here and now. And if we are the bride and we are to get ready for the Lord's coming, we better be partaking in what he commanded. This isn't just for missionaries. I think so many times we're like, yeah, that's a really good thing. Good job, missionaries. You do that. No, this is a mission for the church of anybody who knows him. This is what we're called to. Matthew 9, 35, 10 says the workers are few. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Come on, somebody say amen. So when we were there, I got to ride with James and we were in the car a lot. I mean, a lot. There are times where you're only driving like 300 kilometers, which is like 180 miles. And it took us 10 hours to get there. The roads are just like, like, it's crazy. And so James is sharing with me the, the vision of Grace Community Fellowship. He's a bishop over 46 different churches. And man, I was absolutely blown away by every place that we went. They knew the vision. They, it had been casted to them. It has been owned by them. And now it's being executed by them. And I was just like, Wow. And I so I started just asking. I'm like James, how has this been so effective? Like received. Like, this is amazing to me. I said I think if I were to say in our body of believers, I don't know how many of them know the full vision of reliance. Just being honest, I don't know how many of them would say that they are really championing it and executing it. And you can hear that pin drop in here. It's like hmm, it's quiet. But the truth is, is we as leaders have to pro- be constantly vision casting, constantly equipping so that the saints can do good work. Come on, amen? And this is what he's saying. He's like, you guys have it, I know that. You're doing it in mighty ways. I'm not saying that we're, we're horrible. I'm just going, okay, I was, I was amazed at how unified this was. I'm like, this is the desire of God. Come on, amen? And so my wife's gonna put up this awesome graphic of this four pillars. And the four pillars, I'm just going to simplify them. But this is, this is James's whole strategy. He says, Matthew 6:18, and I also say to you that you are Peter on the rock and I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Come on, amen? So the foundation, the revelation and knowledge of Jesus, there is no other foundation except for those that is Christ Jesus. Come on, amen? This is the foundation of the church. And... James says if you read the Bible, this is the four pillars that you will find that hold up the church. The pillars are this, strategic level and spiritual warfare. It's intercession prayer and an active prayer life, a vibrant prayer life. That is a major pillar of the church and it should be who we are and what we are literally walking and activating in because (coughs) there's a battle raging of unseen war and that, that, the enemy the one who comes to steal kill and destroy what god made good is doing that and if we're not activating in spiritual warfare through intercession and through active prayer life to the one who can conquer him then what are we doing come on amen so we have to have a prayer life and this is why we're going hey we're going to do this on sunday morning we're not going to say we are a house of prayer and not be a house of prayer right and so we're going that's that's what we're going to do Effective discipleship and leadership development. We have to be equipping the saints and we have to be activated in this in every level. We should be having mentorship and constantly um, developing those who are younger than us or under us, but we have to, listen to me church, we have to start in our own homes. Because guess what? Satan has a strategy and he's coming. With great wrath is what that verse says. The third pillar is love and care. Man, I'm telling you, they have, you talking about living this fully? Oh my gosh, I'm gonna share in some of those ways. But we, you have to take care of needs. You wanna know the greatest avenue of the gospel? Take care of somebody's needs and see how much their ears begin to open up to receive the truth of God's word. It's so evident. And the last week, the last one is evangelism. We have to be outside of these walls with strategic plans and sharing the gospel. This is the command of God. Someone say amen. All right. I'm going to get into some testimonies if that's okay. So while we were there, we heard and told so many stories. The very first day we were there, we went to the slums of Nairobi, and let me tell you, I don't know if I've ever been in such chaos in my life. Am I lying, Jacob Hall? (laughs) Jacob at one point was like, this is crazy. We are filming a testimony on the streets and all of a sudden, Maria who's with us says, we have to go now. Get your stuff, go, and I'm like, this, lady, this girl's like, hey, can we take a picture? So, of course, I'm like, yeah, of course. She's like, no, now, in the car. I'm like, oh, uh, okay, and so we get in the car and she instantly starts, she goes, if I say we have to go, it means now. I'm like, uh, okay, and apparently somebody came up to her and said, hey, they call her mama because she's respected in the community. She said, mama, you need to go now. They are collaborating against you and they are gonna rob you of everything you have. And, and so we're like, oh. Oh, okay, like we're hearing this story, and you you can see it, you can feel it. It the the surrounding area was getting louder, it was getting intense. The people around us, and the person's story that we are telling, used to be a leader in the slums as a drug trafficker, and her name is Kimberly. And I have a quick all I want to do is introduce you to Kimberly. It's just a quick video. My
0: auntie took me.
1: Did it freeze? Oh, well, when I say quick, I mean quick. This is Kimberly. At 12 years old, she became an orphan as her mother died. Her aunt sold her into drug trafficking and she became addicted to drugs herself. And that young lady, look at her. When you see her, I'm telling you, you see kindness. Somebody asked me yesterday, cause I told her her story and I'll tell you in a minute. But they said, do you see it in her eyes? Do you see that like that almost that old? And I said, no, I see somebody born again. You wanna know what's amazing about um, the African people in the church is they will introduce themselves. And she literally introduced herself as my name's Kimberly and I'm born again, I'm born again. Let me tell you Kimberly's background, 12 years old, she becomes an orphan, she gets sold into drug trafficking to make just a daily living literally just to supply her daily need of food the average kenyan makes dollar 20 a day dollar 20 87.6% almost it's like the fourth most poorest nation in the world um 87.6% lives in that poverty line okay they are literally just trying to get daily water and daily bread and that's it that's what they're living for A lot of times it leads to life of crime. And so Kimberly, this sweet young lady, has murdered over a thousand people. I'm not kidding. A thousand people. She became one of the largest gang leaders and drug lords in the entire slum area and she ordered killings and she did them herself all for the sake of drugs. Where she was shot multiple times one in the knee, bullet is still there. One in the back, pressing against her spine, bullet still there. She woke up in the morgue multiple times, but the last time, literally for dead, in a freezer. And she walks out and decides she's not going back to the slum. She goes to a different part of Nairobi into another slum area, and she finds the church. The church literally loves her. Loves her unconditionally, unconditionally knowing her dangerous background, knowing her criminal background, they begin to speak the identity of Jesus and in value into her life and that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. I'm telling you, I don't see a girl who murdered a, million, or a, a thousand people. I see a girl who's born again and her old is gone and the new life has come And she's standing there talking about how she started a bakery. And she sells this bread every single day to take care of her needs. And now she's discipling young ladies to the gospel message of Jesus. This is Kimberly. How many of you are stirred in faith? Come on, I'm serious. Like this is who God is. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not a thousand murders in God sees her white as snow and says, I've made you a new creation. That's not who you are. The enemy will not have you, Kimberly. I will profess your name in the book of life. That is amazing to me. And so she shares these stories, and it's really funny because they'll be going in English, and you'll, you'll be captivated by the story, and then all of a sudden it just switches to Swahili, and you're like, talk about the ultimate cliffhanger. Like, what is happening? What is happening? And this happened multiple times, and so I'm going to need to get a translator to carry forth some of their, me- their messages. So this is one story. Um, what I love about this story and what I want to say about the church and the discipleship there is, first of all, being able to take care of a daily need of food and water is the greatest importance there. Because half of them are in criminal activity because they don't have water and food daily. And so they are literally just trying to take care of the hunger pains and the need for water to stay alive. And so they, they do things out of desperation. And so the church is going, hey, we can give them a fish or we can teach them how to fish. And if we teach them how to fish, then guess what? It's going to provide for the community. It's going to provide a need that they have, a revenue that they need. And all of a sudden, she doesn't need a life of crime to survive the day. She has what the church has allowed her to be a part of and, and spoke into her and breathed into her. And at this church, we learn something about table banking. Get this, church. Imagine if we did this as a body of Christ. There, they say, hey, we're asking for the church to give 10%. Okay, so imagine getting, giving 10% of a twenty a day, <laughs> talking 12 cents doesn't seem like it goes very far. But they're going, hey, we believe in this so wholeheartedly that it's not just to go, hey, we're going to build the church with this. We're going to build the church community with this. And they can bring to the table their 10%. And from that 10%, the people who have needs can take from this. And I don't mean just your daily needs. They want to invest. And so this young lady was able to take part in the table banking, and she borrowed from this loan of the table bank. And she has an interest-free loan that she was able to start and get a few, few things so that she could do this. And once she got those few things, she no longer needs that. And she can begin to pay back the table bank. And so there's an interest-free loan to help the people who can't get outside of their own need to begin to flourish and have opportunity. And that opportunity leads to a understanding of God's love and value for them that begins in return to to be fed and nourished and begins to harvest in the fruit of discipleship and she's doing this in others lives come on amen this is one of the pillars it's beautiful the next video I'm going to show you um, I'm just going to be honest with you right now God already put these people on my heart before we left I don't know what it was but they were the Simburu people. I was just so blown away by culture and just amazement. I felt like the Lord was already stirring me before we got there, but this is the Simburu testimony. And I'm just gonna be honest, I'm gonna try to keep it together for this one, go ahead.
0: I'm asking God to give us strength as a church, and to give us a, to give us a, a capability to reach the far for the unreach, because in, in, in this area is still unreached by the gospel. When they when we were uh, when when I was preaching Jesus. Some of the men there, who were present there, they asked me, "And this Jesus, whose son is he?" So through the teaching of the gospel, I see God transforming, them. and they are beginning to accept Jesus Christ as the, as, as their Lord. And many of them are. Get, uh, getting saved.
1: So these are the Simburu people and that is Pastor Reuben. Man, I don't know what it was. Jacob and I, you could hear their singing from like at least a half a mile away in the middle of this field and they live in the most, one of the most arid places I've ever seen in my life and they're literally living amongst the lions and hyenas and you saw some of their, that's their how they keep their livestock alive with multiple fences I saw modern day David 10 year old literally with a a sword sheath and he's protecting the sheep and he's shepherding these sheep at 10 years old and I'm like he's out there by himself and they're like oh yeah he's trained like what Titus you need to get your stuff together bud like you got some ways to go like, you're gonna, that 10 year old's gonna slay lions. They're like, yeah, if he needs to. And I'm like, that's crazy. And Reuben, this is an amazing story. Reuben doesn't have an education, but he heard about Jesus and he wanted to learn about Jesus. So he learned English so that he could go learn the Bible, went to Bible school. And he had such a burden for his people to know Jesus that he get, became a pastor through James and John. Morunga, man, is a Bible teacher. And then he falls in love with the gospel. And he says, I want everyone to know the gospel in the Samburu tribe, and I won't stop until they do. Now, he have five churches. He's raised up five pastors that he is discipling and teaching. He walks 10 miles. Every single day. And that's as far as he can go before he runs out of daylight. And he has to walk through lion-infested, crazy wilderness to get there just to share about Jesus. I'm an evangelist, so I'm already stirred. I was stirred before I left. I don't know what it was. So I asked Reuben, I said, Reuben, what is your greatest need? He says, Matt, there's too many. The harvest is, is plentiful. There's too many. The workers... There's not enough. He says, but I'm asking, we have five pastors right now and all of us have the same mission of evangelism for every person in the Samburu tribe to know Jesus, but we only have one motorbike and I go pick up different pastors and I drop them off at different communities and then we go teach. There were times we saw four people on one motorcycle. you talk about crazy. So I said, so what are you saying? He's like, I need a motorcycle. I said, you need a motorcycle. He's like, yeah. I said how much is a motorcycle and he's like 12,000 shillings and I'm like oh, man that sounds like a lot of money and then I find out it's 1200 bucks and literally I said before we even left I said Reuben you'll have a motorcycle here in the next week yeah. and guess what James texted me and said hey Matt with your blessing we were able to get him a motorcycle and now this is the best part it wasn't so that he could be back sooner it was that he could go further That the gospel would go further to the ends of the Samburu tribe, that all would come to the knowledge of Jesus and come to the full understanding of this. This is the gospel. This is what it should cost, church. I don't know if we have time for the last one, but I want to say this. Dan is the other pastor. He's actually the bishop who's in charge. He's like second in command to, to Bishop James, and he... When, when James comes to the States, he kind of makes sure that things run well. But what I was stirred in faith about Dan, too, is going like, guys, every single person we ran into, whether they were a congregant, whether they were a pastor, whether they just knew about these people, knew the vision of how they took care of needs, how they were sold out to evangelism, how they were um, literally birth and prayer and worship and everything that they do and then they were creating and equipping disciples and I'm like man Lord thank you for the vision of reliance and this is who we are and we want to be sold out to be but the truth is church is we have to be strategic in discipling because what I saw there was exactly that but also overwhelming need of hope people hungry for hope so messed up in poverty, so willing to do anything for that daily bread that they're willing to sell themselves to prostitution, give themselves over to to drugs. You know how many people, the Turkana people, were absolutely amazing. Literally, nothing has changed there in 500 years. If I had more time, I would show you. Like, they live in grass huts. One of their biggest challenges is they lose somebody once to twice um, every month to black mamba bites that are living in their grass huts. They're that remote in the middle of the desert, literally out in the middle of nowhere. And I told people, I'm like, it was like we were living National Geographic. It was so crazy to see those things. But then somebody named Peter Morunga had a desire to bring Jesus to them. 20 years ago. And because Peter Peter full of faith prayed for rain in the middle of a six-year drought and the day after he left rains came and came and came and sprung up new life and the people said we believe in this God because he prayed for rain and got delivered. And these people have come to know Jesus and so 20 years later they're still following Jesus and and James and John have been able to raise up pastors to go into these remote communities and actually share the image of Christ in the midst of these crazy cultures. And I wanna share with you a couple things that James said were his biggest challenges. He said so many people refuse the kingdom because of their culture. So many people refuse the kingdom because of their culture. Each tribe we went to, literally every two hours of driving it seems like you went into a different tribe. Now these aren't different dialects of Swahili, they're completely different languages, completely different cultures and understandings and who they are and what they do. I mean, it was crazy to see. And I say this because James says, man, they're really open to the gospel until it collides with their culture. these people human sacrifice and that's in their culture and so when the Bible says that's not right they're going what do you mean we have to do this that's the struggles and the strongholds they're talking about drinking of blood and all of these crazy things and James says that's one of the biggest hurdles of the gospel going forward because culture is constantly fighting kingdom I'm like well that's crazy James because that's scripture our flesh and our spirit is at war according to Galatians 5. And we're going to feed one of those. We're going to feed our flesh or we're going to feed the spirit. And the spirit leads to love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I They're I left out kindness, nine of them. But our flesh will lead to selfishness, orgies, drunkenness, all of these things that are of Satan's deceptive lie that he's been using from the beginning of time And the truth is, church, is what I'm trying to say is if we aren't strategic in the way that we're discipling our generations, our culture is discipling a generation far away from the truth of God. They're wrestling with with sexual identity like I've never seen before. They're, they're, They're wrestling with their identity just as value. Suicide rate at the highest rate. I told James, I said, James, we're dealing with the same thing. I said, I believe one of the hardest mission fields in the world today is the United States because we're, we don't even think we need Jesus anymore. We're affluent, we have everything that we need and as if I just work or do whatever, I don't need God, I don't need a savior because I have everything that I need. You wanna talk about a hard mission field? It's time that we raise up our three- and four-year-olds in the ways of the kingdom in such mighty ways that they're indoctrinating them with the message of Christ in kindergarten and in first grade and second grade. And these people are bringing in the hope of Jesus into the school system. And this is what James is saying. Those four pillars go into seven different spheres. The seven different spheres are the spheres of influence. Listen to them. Family, first and foremost. We have to be discipling our family. Religion, the church, obviously. The education systems, government, media, arts and entertainment, and business and economics. Guys, let me tell you, they have a strategic plan of how they are discipling and sending people into each one of these spheres. And they're saying the other religions are not arguing doctrine and what they believe and who they are. And they're not splitting denominations. They are unified in their agenda. And it's time that the body of Christ lives out John 17 and that we are unified as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, make us one in you, Lord, and we are steadfast and obedient to carrying out the gospel message and the commission of Christ. And we're doing that in a strategic way of prayer, of discipleship, of taking care of needs, and last one, evangelism, right? And we're doing that in the seven different spheres. Guys, we have to take over our homes. Let's stop letting the church disciple our homes and let us take on the mantle of that. Men, step into this role. Start to pray with your spouse. Start to read the Bible. Start to encourage them and their identities as sons and daughters from the one who gave them life. That's our role. And if we do that just in our home, guess what, your kids will go into the greatest mission field they ever know and it's called school. And you, when you go to work every single day, be in one of those spheres of influence in media that's where i feel called to i am going to take it by storm i'm telling you i'm professing right now i I want to begin to tell beautiful god stories that stir people's faith and say man i was addicted to alcohol but that man right there was delivered through the love of jesus i want to go talk with him arts and entertainment Man, it's time that our kids start stop valuing sports more than they do their own lives, start to show them the value of young women, young men, see their own value that they would hold their standards high as God holds them high. So I wanna do this, would you just stand this morning? I'm just gonna pray over us and send us, commission us out once again. Let me just ask you, if you just stirred, would you raise your hand this morning? If you feel spurred, raise your other hand. Father, today I just pray that you would stir the church in faith. That God, we serve a God who is steadfast, who is faithful. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the great mission that you have called us to. To spread the good news. To share of the hope of glory. His name is Jesus. Jesus to let us unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised it is faithful. And so let us spur one another on in word, in love, in good deeds. Father, we thank you that you have called us, that you have commissioned us, that you have loved us to death so that we would have life and life in the full. And so, Lord, I just pray that the church today would begin to take on the mantle and that our obedience would be our worship to you. Father, we love you. We proclaim it with our lives surrendered and sold out for you and your kingdom. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, I love you so much. Thank you for letting us share today. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in for today's Word. We hope that it continues to encourage you and bless you as you go about your day-to-day. And until then, we will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.